From runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 786, SQL Question and Answer from SQL Intersection, Spring 2021, with guests Bob Ward, Anna Hoffman, Grant Fritchie, Buck Woody, and David Pless. Recorded Tuesday, June 27, 2021. Run As Radio is produced each week by Sound Thoughts LLC. For more information, visit soundthoughtsllc.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you, Brendan. This is Richard Camel. Thanks for listening to Run As Radio. I'm here in Orlando in June when it's a million degrees and a million percent humidity, but hey, we're in person, and it's awesome. And it's been a year since we've been able to do this, and I'm very, very excited to do a SQL Q&A. We have an esteemed panel of SQL professionals, including Sir Bob Ward, Anna Hoffman, Grant Fritchie, Buck Woody. I think that's enough troublemakers. I think so. That's enough troublemakers. (coughs) The idea of this show has always been... You've seen a lot. Oh, and Dave Pless just arrived. David too. Pless, so yes. <laughs> come, come hither. <laughs> uh, the idea of this is to make, if there's any questions that haven't been answered, any thoughts you have around SQL, like we got everybody here. So throw up your hand. Let's make sure I can run a microphone to you. And uh, I'll mask up to do that. And you get to watch me run, which is always funny. And, uh, and we'll, we'll get the questions out of the experts and we'll see what happens. And the same for the folks online. We'll pop the chat open so that we can see if you've got questions for our our esteemed panel. We're happy to answer them. Hey, by the way, Bob Olaf, the name Olaf. Do you see Olaf up there? He's from Texas, Houston. It's the way to roll, man. Because every, I mean, Olaf and Texas, right? I figured you would put that together. <laughs> yeah, just spotlight your camera there, Anna, and that, oh, should, dear. that should be the thing. For what? Oh, so famously, our friend Kim Tripp would give extensive answers to the point where we started timing her. And I think she got to like 7 minutes 45. 17 minutes. For one answer on something something really fun like partitioning. Yeah, no, no. She gets, she circles the drain really hard on that. (laughs) I I thought detailed answer was the correct description to that. Well, I told her she was like a parrot with her foot hung. That's what I said because she just (laughs) kept going on. and, And we would goad it and Paul would get so angry. Bob and I would just goad her into doing that. Yeah. But yet, and yet we had so much insight. So if you get a sense of how this 40 minutes or so is going to go, by all means, throw your hand up if you've got a question you want to ask these folks, and we'll, we'll happy to get started. Otherwise, I'm going to ask them some questions too. Kimberly Tripp so was the reason like I was able to ever do partitioning, so. Props to her. I mean, you <laughs> could come over. We here. miss you, Kim. I hope you hear this show and you know that we're all missing you. A lot. Hey, Richard, I think if you wouldn't mind just for a few minutes. we got, So, hey, I asked Richard uh, the other day, you know, if he wouldn't mind, I'd make an opening remark before we start here. Because I know this is being recorded and people are going to hear this after the fact. So I just want to stand up and make a special super thank you to Richard yourself, to Shirley Brothers and the entire team here. We did not think. Yes, thank you. Thanks. <laughs> Richard and I were on a conference call last December yes. talking about this. And I remember Richard saying, like, probably not going to happen anyways. But, by the way, if you yeah. guys could actually come, could it, is it possible you could come to this event again? And I, in my wildest dreams, would not even be, believe I would be standing here. We, I mean, we had to make a decision to have this event 
last April when yeah. the other event couldn't go ahead. And right. so, you know, we committed to June. And you have to make a best effort. But right. you're planning in December as we were having that exactly. call. Exactly. And at that time, if you think about where we were in December, being in person seemed insane. And also, since it's being recorded, I do want to make one other shout out. I really dearly hope and pray that my two dear friends, Kim Tripp and Paul Randall, will listen to this. I would not be standing here today if it was not for them. In 2012, I was a lonely escalation engineer in Microsoft support. My friends reached out to me and said, would you come speak at this event? I also want you to meet this guy named Richard Campbell. And by the way, I'm going to put you in front of this panel at the end of this thing where they're going to ask you anything you want. And you work for Microsoft. But seriously, Paul, Kim, if you're listening, thank you so much. We owe you so much to even be here today with this event. You have helped build SQL Intersection, which is now SQL Server and Azure SQL. So... Miss you guys. Hope you're listening, and you know, hopefully, we'll see you again someday soon. Yeah, Paul helped me write check DB DBC. He's checking. <laughs> so, so Paul, if you're listening, uh, uh, actually, Paul Randall wrote that, and yes. so every year we would be here. I would at some point claim to have written it, and it would push him over the edge. Yes, it's yeah. always, that was always the rule when Paul was in the room. Is everybody else would claim they wrote DBCC. Right, right, yeah. right. You can't torment your friends who can't. <laughs> That's can what I'm saying. Truly. Thanks, Richard, for letting me say that. I appreciate yeah, no, that. I'm, I'm, be I'm very so. grateful that yeah. you guys, you know, you made that commitment way before we thought it what was possible to. Yeah, yeah. And I'm grateful for all that. It's been a heck of a week. And yeah, it has. Indeed. Very complicated way to do a show. Indeed. Uh, and I'm glad it worked out. Uh, here we are. Now, sometimes we have a slide that talks about all the different areas of SQL Server. How many folks here are already on Azure SQL using Azure SQL in the field? It's just a few hands there. So, mm -hmm, if, mm -hmm. and everybody else on premises, on premises. So many more to win. Or is it just access? <laughs> Anybody on access? <laughs> <Okay>. Just checking. <clears throat> oh no, I thought this was a SharePoint show. Thanks very much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, quite a few. Look at that. Oh wow, yeah. Wow. Okay. I, it's mostly an on-prem room, and I think that's interesting for all yeah, you guys is. too, right? Yeah, sure. On-prem's not going anywhere. No, it's it's <laughs> it's a good thing. So Anna, Anna is booing because yeah. she I'm works with the Azure SQL part. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You know, I I work mostly on Azure SQL, so yeah, I'm not going away from SQL Server, Anna. Sorry. SQL Server and Azure VM. It's a great place to run your SQL, SQL Server and an Azure VM. <laughs> yeah. I really appreciated in the keynote. Because um, one of the having living a lot on both sides of both the, the, the life of an IT pro DBA type and as a dev, sure. the battle to make SQL part of that DevOps cycle oh. to make sure that the changes that the database that are going to be needed by the app are part of that same workflow has been hard. Oh. And you made it look real easy the other day. The, the new tooling and its and its ability to slide into GitHub Actions. Yeah, it's like, I, I, I mean, have to wait I, for that. I think it's important to call out that even though in the demo you saw it working with Azure SQL Database, this is something that works across all of our flavors of SQL. And, and we because we want to be part of the same math, right? Mm -hmm. That shipping an app includes changes to data, and it shouldn't be separate. It shouldn't be isolated. That's it, right. You know, it needs yep. to be part of the workflow. You all part of the same team. Sure. All part of delivering value to the customer. That's right. That's right. Nice. You like that? <laughs> the more yeah. you know. Do, 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 yeah. do. You work that in very nice. The more you know. <laughs> yeah. One sec. All right, we got a question now. Yeah, in the audience. Right. Look out. Here we go. Floor. First one. I mean, we're talking about 2019. So, question is. We normally upgrade the databases, and we did quite few of them, but we have not changed the compatibility mode. And uh, 
if we're not changing, uh, then what it gives us, like I'm not, we're not getting the lot of benefits of it. But means our management says like unless we run the, we start from the beginning and we verify everything, we cannot change it. It will break our, so due to that fear, they don't let us to change the compatibility mode to 2019. Sure. So is your question, you'd like to know why you should switch to the new latest compatibility mode? Is that your question? Yeah, I mean, is there any benefit we get out of this one? Right. Changing it. And isn't it cool that it's being recorded so that you can then show your bosses on the recording what we said, that's right? right. So you're going to want Dave, this You're going to take a shot at that. So, Here's David Pless. So the first thing, intelligent query processing, with a by far is going to be your, in, like I would say, one of the biggest areas. I mean, it's really starting with 140, and certainly additional scenarios with the 150. What compatibility mode are you on now? Um, it's 2014. We're still on 2014. I think it is the um, 13 compatibility mode. Yeah. 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 So it's one of the, I, I think we talked about it a little bit this week in one of my sessions that as the product has gone forward from SQL 2000 now to 2019, 2019 still supports as back, far back as 100 which is a huge opportunity for folks that are still trying to migrate your workloads, your databases. However, the idea is to keep the previous behavior, right? There's a lot of features that you're going to miss. Fortunately, it's a, it's a simple scenario, right? To switch the compatibility level. I'm not going to burn a lot of calories doing that. The question is, really, it's a what's, two, it, what's it going to break? There's a two... We don't, it, it depends, we don't know. But yeah. <laughs> I'll say this. I would do, there's a two-part test to what you want to do. First of all, it's what I would like to call a functionality test. Do the lights still come on? Can you still work in a test environment by changing your compatibility level? Next, let's do a performance workload test to make sure that everything works as before, if not better. And I would expect in many scenarios you're going to see better performance. One certainly is because of intelligent query processing. Yeah, even if you don't. Well, I was starting the timer. <laughs> yeah, I started um, the timer. Kim was listening to this, so I wanted to make sure that she knew if you broke the record. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so the easiest way to think kidding, about this, <laughs> easiest way to think about this is uh, think about what test you want to run. And we've got tools for that, the database migration assistant, database, all kind of stuff, the experimentation wizard. We've got tools for you to help. Uh, the other thing is, uh, David may have uh, kind of alluded to this a little bit, we're, we're more additive. We don't normally break things, we're just adding things. So that's what we, we, we picked up that mantra when we started making Azure SQL. Let me add a couple of things. The, the IQP thing is huge, right? That's the biggest thing you're going to get from the compat mode. But I bet that they're concerned about moving to the new CE model. That's usually what everybody's concerned about around that time frame. Right. And so there's some options for you there as well to change, to keep your compat level before that, but use a database option to turn off that. Plus we have things coming in the future to even help those scenarios. I don't know if that helps add to the details what you're looking right. for. Question um, related to this one is, if we change the compatibility mode, do we need to re-index the entire database to take advantage of that, or that will be fine? No, you don't need to re-index your database for that change. One thing to help you, though, David kind of alluded to this, the query store is your friend here, by the way. The query store records compat levels for plans. So if a new plan is generated for the new compat level, you can pair differences. Mm -hmm. Pedro Lopes has a tool in Management Studio called Query 
uh, uh, tuning hints where you can go through and it actually looks at your workload and gives you ideas about what the comparison looks like. So you have all sorts of tools to help you do that process. Yeah, and that was one of the, the big things I was going to say was just the regression plans within the query uh, data store. As Dave was saying, when you do your performance test on a different compatibility level, it will tell you has anything uh, regressed. That allows you to kind of put a sniper scope on that and get the very fine grain items, the, the store procedures that may not be working um, as you would have expected in your regressed compatibility level. And if that's the case, that allows you to either treat those with trace flags or you can set it at the database level. And I would stress the, the two types of tests, the functionality test and then your more performance-based test. The reason why I say this is your application stakeholders generally care heavily on the functionality. Is it still going to work? Then you're going to be bringing in the other folks. Okay, I want to understand, can this scale? I'm going to take a question from the online folks. It's from mm. David Fanton, and it's aimed directly at Anna, and says, uh, can you provide a brief forecast, guess, as to when Microsoft would expect to only deliver Azure SQL SKUs, knowing that it would be a serious question on how to maintain a foothold for companies with mixed technologies, that is, with non-Microsoft? I'm asking so I can get some idea of how long to expect hybrid data, uh, uh, something. Estates, I think. Estates, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think I can take it from there. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't think we're really ever going to get rid of what you see as SQL Server on-prem. We have a lot of customers, at least not any time in the future that I'm aware of. Uh, we have a lot of customers running on-prem today. And if anything, you'll look at our investments and see with things like Azure Arc, really what we're trying to do is bring Azure capabilities to wherever you are, whether it's on-prem, in another cloud, in Kubernetes, in our platform in Azure. So I think this hybrid workforce or workplace that you're seeing is going to continue forward. I mean, ideally, you start to move some things or at least start connecting your SQL Server to Azure, and maybe you'll start seeing some of that uh, in the future. Anyone want to add? No, I think you've nailed it. I mean, SQL on-prem is going nowhere. Yeah. And I, uh, I'm, I live in the exchange world, not a trivial amount of time, and <laughs> exchange hybrid is going nowhere. Yeah. Access <laughs> is going nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they, they still ship the VB runtime in Windows. That's has right. been updated yeah. since 98. Yeah, no, it's, right here. it's absolutely uh, a thing. But no, on-prem's going nowhere. Can can we get rid of access? <laughs> no, we cannot get rid of access. Y'all stop it's hating going on my A lot of developers are going to be very upset if we ever did that. <laughs> Listen, access is the bomb. Okay, anybody else in the room? We got. I think we got one more, Bruce and Brian, in the yeah. brave new world we're in. Yeah. On the far side there? So, to Bruce and Brian's question... In a brave new world we're in, tell me how I should keep my skill set. Oh, this is a book. This is a book. What do you question? Oh, hello. Yeah. This is a book. I do have colleagues who would contest the word. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> this is, I feel this is a buck question. You got panel agreements. This is a buck question. Oh yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely. I typed that in. I've actually logged okay. in as Bruce and Brian. Okay. Um, absolutely. We we hear this all the time. And I, I when I was a manager one time, I had a guy come to me and say, "I need to get promoted. Why I need to get promoted? I've got ten years of experience." And I told him, "No, you don't." You got one year of experience ten times. As he was never progressing, he was never taking care of his of his career. I've written a blog post that you can go find on LinkedIn uh, that's that's called "Your Career Is Your Fault." And we all know those people. You do an amazing job, and you're waiting for someone to notice you and promote you and make you better, and no one does. 
And what that means is you need to take charge of your own career. And most of that is in keeping yourself current. There's no problem with knowing a specific technology in depth, as long as someone needs that technology. There's also no problem in knowing a wide array of technologies. That's also a kind of depth. Bob is far deeper than I am on things especially within SQL Server and so on. But I've worked in different areas than Bob, and so we bring both of those things to play. And together, we can bullcrap almost any answer you can possibly imagine. Hey, what? Yeah, no, it's true, though. But I know more sports than you do. You do. That, that would be something I would consider golf as part of your skill set, right, to add to that. I'm, right? That's a good but point. Golf, sports ball? That's a good point. Sports I don't know ball. anything about sports Let me ball. add one other comment to that uh, that I keep saying, because have you seen me over the last couple of years, Richard, you've seen me over the years of this panel. Yep kind of more from talking just SQL Server to Azure SQL to both these worlds. I did a SQL Edge to Cloud Keynote. If you're in the Keynote, remember what I said about T-SQL? Mm -hmm. About your knowledge of the SQL engine? It is core to everything we have, whether it's Azure SQL Edge or what we're doing in SQL Server. If you want to keep your skills sharp, keep rocking SQL because it's yeah. everywhere you need it, right? And it's, and it's never going away. That the, but the fact that you may cultivate a new skill and say a little Python sure. plays, there you go. plays perfectly well in the SQL space Absolutely. as well. That's right. and, yep. and a whole lot of other spots too. Not That's a bad right. skill set to add. Exactly. And, and if you're you know importing data from funny places, you'd be surprised how good Python is. Yeah, yeah. Indeed. Data from funny places. <laughs> data from funny places. That's, that's a whole division of an organization, right? The data from funny places, people. And I want to interrupt for one moment for this very important message. Trying to troubleshoot your end-user's Wi-Fi issues remotely is frustrating, time-consuming, and often just a guessing game about the source of the problem. You don't have time for that, and neither do they. MetaGeek has been in the Wi-Fi business for over 15 years with products like Wi-Spy and Insider. Their passion is helping users visualize their wireless landscape. Now they are bringing that knowledge to the remote work era with Signify Business. With Signify Business, frontline remote troubleshooting is done for you, and you only have to get involved when there are escalations. End users install a lightweight desktop client that scans their network periodically, diagnoses issues, and suggests step-by-step -step fixes for the end user to try, while at the same time sending network data to your admin dashboard. That way, if the self-help fixes don't work, you already have all the information you need to step in and get it resolved quickly. No tedious help desk calls required. If your IT department supports remote employees and you don't have the bandwidth to take another help desk call about Wi-Fi, start your free trial of Signify Business today by visiting metageek.com slash signify. That's S-I-G-N-I-F-I. -I. Think signal plus Wi-Fi. Signify, remote tech support for employees in the work from anywhere era. And we're back. It's Run As Radio. I'm Richard Campbell. We're here in Orlando at the SQL Intersection Conference talking about SQL Azure and talking about on-prem Azure with a fine panel of experts. Other questions? Now, down right here. I'm going to Azure SQL Database. I assume it will be SQL Server 2019 or SQL 2019. Um, but will new features and tools be added before there's a major release and how would we know? Just a quick follow-up. Are you asking in Azure SQL, are new features landing first in Azure SQL or in SQL Server? Azure SQL. Okay. Yeah, I can take that one. Um, and then if anyone wants to add. 
so we like to say we are cloud first in our development of Azure SQL. The reason we say this is because look at how often we ship Azure SQL versus SQL Server. We can ship a train uh, with new Azure SQL features every month, whereas with SQL Server, as you all know, this only happens every certain number of years and it's unknown when it's gonna happen until it happens. Um, so yeah, a lot of times you'll see features land in Azure SQL first and then they come to whatever the next release of SQL Server is. Because at the end of the day, we're sharing the same code base across all those different services. So how would we know that there's a new feature? It's a plug, Anna. Okay, if How you want to you know? know what's new in Azure SQL, I'll take a shameless plug here. I do host a show on YouTube called Data Exposed, and once a month, actually we did it today from that room over there, uh, we stream live and we do a live news update. So for example, today we streamed live, I brought on seven program managers from the Azure and other teams related. Bob and Buck made a cameo. We talked about latest announcements like the public preview of CDC, query store hints, which went yesterday. Uh, what else? There were a lot of things that were announced recently. Azure Resource Mover, um, 16 terabytes in managed instance. So Azure AD Auth only. Azure AD Auth only. So if you want to stay up to date, Azure Defender, if you want to stay up to date, then subscribe to our YouTube channel. And uh, you can also check our news blog. Every month I write a blog that has all the updates in it across Azure SQL and SQL Server. So if you want to know about the latest CU, uh, and the link for that is aka.ms slash news update. And it's always pointing to the latest. So blog. is there a way to tell what's been changed? Like is there a query or something? Is that what you're asking? Like is there some sort of way you can say what am I currently running in Azure SQL? Is that what you're asking? Well, that too. Okay. In addition to what okay. the Anna had said. The first part of your question though, like when you're doing the migration, keep in mind like the gentleman's question back here, compatibility level matters for Azure SQL database man managed instance as well. So you're gonna, you're gonna be able to have like, the, I think as low as 90, but you'll get converted to 100 on a migration. It will support 100 all the way to 150, just like you would have in the SQL Server product. And that's important for you to know that going in. What is the compatibility level of the application database that you have? If do you, for Initially, match that experience, and then you're going to take the same recommendation I had here, functionality test, performance test, as you plan to migrate forward. And we've got some new migration tools. We do. Where I can point it at whatever database, not necessarily a 2019 database, too. Correct. And say, I'm looking at going to Azure SQL yep. or to, to Azure SQL of that, EM, and yes. you're going to give me some hints on what's going to happen. Azure Migrate is perfect for that and letting you know what you're, what you're going to have your experience be. And, and most important, what are the break, breaking scenarios between compatibility levels and especially how to fix it. And Bob, nice. is there a course or materials or <laughs> any kind of a Anna? There's a postcon tomorrow on this. Or something to migration. I'm going to have to call this the plug show. Right? <laughs> is there a course or something I think we've done in South well, Africa? One, one thing about Anna's show, she's correct. One thing we, we struggle with, we built the Azure SQL workshop. We're delivering that here tomorrow. Mm -hmm. We actually have it online as well in, in other forms. But we struggle. We constantly are about how do we update this thing. So I actually get the struggle you're talking about. 
But that's actually what a lot of our customers want from the cloud. They want that innovation to happen at a rapid pace versus waiting several years. Just another quick thing, there is an RSS feed. Wow, is anybody even do RSS feeds anymore? <laughs> there's an RSS feed from our documentation that it gets up any time there's a new functionality for Azure SQL, there's a feed you can subscribe to. It'll tell you exactly what we just shipped. And I actually have my RSS feed going to my Access database. Um, <laughs> the, if you'll oh, go dear. to aka.ms uh, forward slash SQL workshops, all one word, there's a whole bunch of workshops that we put together. And in fact, uh, the migration uh, story is there and it's free and you can take it online. Lots of tools. We had this question um, from uh, BJ Stigall. He said, how do I convince developers to learn T-SQL? I find very few developers really understand it. Uh, my answer is always, tell them it's a functional language. Because it is. It's, functional languages are cool. I think it's one of the most popular sessions on Learn, actually. Yeah? Yes. Is think you have to talk slower when they're developers? Don't you have to talk slower? Nice. Okay. okay, that was wrong, and I'm sorry. Learn is free. It, I started off my life as a developer before I, I became an accidental DBA and then joined the, the world of the dark DBA forces. Um, so as a developer, the, the one thing to keep in mind is when you're a DBA, your SAN administrator thinks of you like you think of your developers. So it, it all kinds of runs downhill till you get to the storage. So the big thing I've always found about developers is they're very curious, they're open to learning, and if you bother to sit down and teach them, um, generally, they'll really understand that this makes their code run faster. Mm -hmm. If you can show them how indexes work, if you can show them a demonstration on, here's a table that's a heap and I have to scan every single bit of it, um, here's a clustered index, or here's a non-clustered index on a heap, and this makes your app perform this much faster when fetching a record, that's a concept they can really get into. So I'd, I'd say, try and have a little empathy, look at things from their point of view, figure out a way to get them excited, and every developer is happy when they're code runs that much faster. And so I, I'd say that's a very motivating factor to be able to do. Okay, but sh shameless plugs have to occur on Richard's show here. He yep. just said that. So I, I do know that challenge from one perspective. T-SQL is a huge thing, right? Most developers are probably talking about select, insert, delete. I mean, there's a subset that most developers care about running. But you just mentioned about indexes. Hey, one of the things we're doing in Azure Database, we're trying to make Azure Database a database for modern developers. So all the stuff we're trying to throw in this thing, including automatic indexing. How about getting some recommendations from Microsoft a little bit as a developer on what indexes work well for my workload? Mm -hmm. That is one of the most heavily used functionalities that comes with Azure Database. So I agree. I understand what you're saying about T-SQL, but just keep in mind about what the scope of what you mean by T-SQL. Is it mostly just writing decent queries, mm -hmm. or is it the scope of the entire language which gives you so many different things? Things. Also keep in mind this, as you see, we try to extend things in T-SQL. Buck mentioned in, in the keynote, or mentioned in an earlier session about predict. Was that in the interview? Yes, I think, sir. Mm -hmm. So machine learning is in predict in T-SQL. Right. So there's some advantages for developers to learn that language because we embed functionality in there that's not traditionally in your normal select statement. Yeah, and why isn't we... there a course for Azure SQL that you guys have, I mean, did you guys, Anna, did you guys put together a course yeah, for I this? So. I think you did, didn't you? The, the Buck Woody plugs everything. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. but, we, but we have. That's what we've been doing. We've That's just it. been writing courses for the last year. We're so lonely, yeah. and it's so nice to get out. We had nothing else to do. Anna's well, you sitting there. Speak for yourself. You stop. Anna bought a dog so she would have somebody to talk to. It was, and Bob, I, I just feel bad for him. Sometimes he's just staring at the wall. So, so we wrote a lot of courses. But, but to address their question, the one thing I would add, though, is bringing in developers and help, helping them with T-SQL is going to make a difference. Yes, Azure and automated in 
indexes. Please, please, yes, it's great. But the automated indexes won't fix bad T-SQL code. Mm. True. So if they write crap code, yeah. you're still going to get bad performance no mm. matter how great mm -hmm. they make the execution plans, right. no matter how great they make the index tuning, right? And they're doing some amazing, I don't work for Microsoft, by the way. Mm. Can you tell? Um, they're doing great, great work. But you put in bad code. And we'll run it very fast. They'll run it as fast as they can. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you're, you're still going to have issues. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so um, we're on prem still with with everything. We're you're still, good. You're okay. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> we're still we're still running SQL 2008 and 12 Ooh. and 16 and everything. But we're getting pressure to up our encryption <laughs> across the board, and we're starting to find this conversation that's happening between our network engineers, mm -hmm. our security guys, mm -hmm. our DBAs, and they're all talking different languages. Mm. <laughs> um, and they're trying to, you know, the network guy is saying, can you tell me for sure your database is encrypting at mm. this, with this, uh, what is it, uh, encryption Key method or, yeah. mm -hmm. and everything. Mm -hmm. So can you guys just share your best resource or your best sure. place to go start so we can start having those conversations with the same language? So I did a, a session yesterday on secure uh, machine learning with SQL Server, but the first half of that course was just SQL Server security. And we've been doing this, all of us, a very long time. Bob, like a really long time, right? Like he did it in zeros and ones. <laughs> so, uh, over and over, we find we have to recover the basics of security. So to answer your question, I would recommend two things. One is you're, you're free to download that presentation as a PDF, and there's tons of links and resources in the first half just for SQL Server security. But uh, I say this with a just as much emphasis as I can in the fine documentation and books online. Do we still call it books online? We don't call it books online anymore, do we? Well, we, you and I do. <laughs> what do we, we call it? We still call it BOL. Yeah, Microsoft, Microsoft Docs. Docs. Yeah. Books online. Those so of us in ones and zeros call it BOL. Yeah. Yeah. So if you go to books online and you search for Microsoft SQL Server Security and you go to the Docs page for that, there's a lead page and it's really well done. It lays out everything you need to do from the the lock on the front door, to locking the cage of the server, to locking the drives, transparent data encryption, the right keys you should use, our new secure enclaves information, uh, security at rest, security in flight, and so on. What well, part of that doc page that Buck just mentioned, and we referenced that in the workshop you've been plugging every second here, is called the SQL uh, Security Playbook. That's part of that docs. That's written specifically directly by our PM team about everything about encryption you need to know and then everything else Buck talked about. Physical protection all the way to protection at rest. Yeah, encryption at rest. Yeah. Everything. Encryption in motion. SQL so, security playbook. So his, historically, we used to have something uh, that was the Microsoft operations framework, I believe. Yep. MOF. Yep. MOF. And it was like ITIL-based. That's correct? right. Yeah. yeah. And so the patterns and practices that we have in that is reflected today in what we call the well-architected framework. And you will see pillars amongst areas like security, yep. availability, performance, cost, things like that, that are reflected. And I know you're on-prem, but if you're in the Azure scenario, you'd see an, an Azure advisor. You'd see the same pillars. Um, the That defense-in-depth mentality does get reflected in our tool set. So 
what I would tell you from a sequel perspective, if you can, I know you have many flavors, like 2008, 2012, I'd say the security story gets to be really tight with SQL Server 2016. So here we have row-level security, dynamic data masking, and one of the key scenarios for you is always encrypted, that we encrypt at rest as well as in motion. You have the ability to have random and deterministic keys based on your scenario, where you can still do like a quality scenarios with deterministic-based uh, encryption. But that's really kind of what, when, you're, when you were describing your scenario, first thing I thought of was, thought of was always encrypted. Yeah. But you, you really need to be on SQL Server 2016 to start using that. It's, it's one of the best arguments I've heard for, I mean, she's got a diversity of SQL, which is not that unusual. Not yeah. unusual it's at all. It's like yeah. to have that initiative to push up the versions. And here's the key phrase so the security guys will pay for it. We're going to reduce our tax surface. <laughs> That's right. You say that, they the tax surface. That just sounds good. Yeah. But I, I absolutely love that the, the, what the folks in your organization are looking at doing is it critical because the risks in the world yeah. are, are, right now it's crazy. Paranoid. It's crazy. You, we, yeah. we have to be as enthusiastic as defending our systems as they are trying to attack it. Yeah. They're asking us you know, about specific encryption methods like AES-256. Mm-hmm. It's all in that playbook. And all the keys and all yep, that stuff. They're all there. Yep. But Dave's got a point, though. The playbook, if you look at it, you need to, to kind of update to some newer releases to get some of the functionality the playbook talks about. Yeah. So, and it's, again, um, we, we talked about this yesterday in my security session. The, the number one attack surfaces, there's, there's three. Uh, one of them is poor passwords. Another one is phishing attacks. And the other one is outdated software. And by the way, there was a huge hack against RSA nine years ago. They were prohibited from talking about it legally until last week or two weeks ago. And they finally published the report. RSA, the company that makes the key seeds and so on for everyone else and all the stuff your company is depending on, got hacked and the seeds got stolen, like the gem got stolen. And it was because somebody was using an outdated version of an operating system, opened a phishing email, and they had a weak password at the strongest company on the planet. So you have to upgrade to get the new stuff. Yeah, and the, the, the WannaCry scenarios and the SamSam scenarios go after the same attack, uh, attack scenarios. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, don't worry. The, the yeah. Black Hats are working hard. They really it turns are. Out this stuff's been profitable lately. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes. The, the, bad thing the, is is the bad thing is it's, we're, we're not making it hard for them. The, we write a, I've written a course with a friend of mine called Shut the Front Door, and it's literally on just doing the basics. So do, do the compatibility levels help us with that? So could we upgrade to 2016 and get the security but still run some database oh. features? What's the right answer? Uh, before you answer anything, what's the right answer? Everybody in unison. In unison. <laughs> it depends. <laughs> okay, thank you. But well, it's possible. Oh, yeah. It, it's definitely possible, and many of the things aren't dependent on that compat level. That's so correct. I've definitely looked that way, for sure. But I would also propose this. Like, there's a reason you keep old versions of SQL. Stuff's working. That's correct. That's right? right. The, what you just talked about here, especially in this context of security, is a, a real clear case for why we upgrade, yep. why we raise compat yep. levels, why we turn off things we're not using. That is like correct. We go through that because we, right. it is a reduction in surface level, uh, in right. attack surface. It's funny. It's you also are, correct. You are benefiting from the people that have, you know, had problems have, in the past. Have led <laughs> yeah, we, for you. We've had a couple of small things. By yeah. the way, another really good security tip, just the last one here, Richard, is um, to watch the movie John Candy Summer Rental. <laughs> there's a, oh dear. there's a scene in there about the Gosh. boat 
and just you'll know it when you see it. Yeah. It's a really great computer security movie. I, I don't even know how to follow that with the yeah, technical that's comment. A, that's a, we'll watch yeah. the movie. It'll make a sense. One-way trip. I, yeah. I, I, I'm going to yeah. try, though. Um, I'm just going to ignore it and keep going. So one of your questions specifically was about upgrading. So it's important to keep in mind that when you upgrade your compatibility level, one of the biggest things that people get hit with is the change uh, with the new cardinality estimator that was added in SQL Server 2014. You have the capability to upgrade your compatibility level and still go with the legacy compatibility estimator at a database level. That's a database setting that's been around for a while. So if you find that that's something that you need to do, you can go on that legacy, still go up to the latest version. That uh, compatibility estimator is specific to the relational engine. The relational engine that processes queries, that uh, takes a look at your T-SQL, makes sure that your statements are correct, that the language is phonetically correct. So to go get a feature that came out with a version, you need to be on that com compatibility level. However, there are components that are built into the storage engine. And the storage engine doesn't care what compatibility level you're on. And so that's that's the key it depends thing to really think about there. For, for example, 2008 R2, you can use transparent data encryption, but you could still be on a compatibility level for SQL 2000 that didn't know anything about transparent data encryption because the storage engine manages it. So that's something to keep in mind with those features. That's where it gets to be a very big... It, it depends. depends. Yeah. Here's another good resource for you. Pedro created this. I love uh, using this with customers. AKA.MS DB Compat. If you go to that website, our colleague Pedro Loeb spent like a half a year <laughs> reorganizing everything that Compat gives you, doesn't give you, breaking changes. It's a really super good resource for that topic. Yeah, yeah, great point. Great resource. Uh, I'm going to take one more question, and then, uh, guys, we're out of time. Oh, my what? gosh. What? Yeah, oh, Richard, no, no. Oh, boom, it's only three. Boom. It's only three. Yeah, it's all, actually, it's four. And this is a question for Buck, because he hasn't talked enough. That's true. Uh, <laughs> it's true, though. You MS Sandense is oh, awesome. Is there any expectation to progress this data visualization technology to a fully supported technology in the Microsoft Business Intelligence Inventory? Yeah. Features? How many of you have played with Sandance? Sandance? Have you ever heard of it? Okay. If you, how many of you are using Azure Data Studio? Okay. You might want to check that out. It's just a new uh, cross-platform tool that you can use, kind of like Azure Data Studio, uh, excuse me, uh, SSMS, but it's in a different kind of environment, can run notebooks and stuff. Inside one of those notebooks, an add-in that you can add is called Sandance, and it's a way of visualizing your data. Um, and, and the question is, will we put that in other things? I'm not seeing a, a thing there for that. However, uh, I'm trying to remember, we just came out with something two weeks ago from Microsoft Research. It's got a name. It's, I'm looking at you, Anna. Come on, seriously. Um, <laughs> He's looking at you. So um, the guys over at Microsoft Research uh, set up a thing as a group of gentlemen that they created a site, and you can go there, and it is an API call you can also make. It's got some amazing visualizations. Um, I'm not sure how we get, maybe I'll tweet it back out. Um, follow Buck Woody MSFT at your own risk, and I'll tweet back out that tool. I've forgotten the name of the tool, but it's amazing. It does more than Sandance, and you can call it from our technologies. Buck Woody has more plugs than Nicolas Cage. David. Yeah, one one thing to add to that, um, Azure Data Studio. How many of y'all are DBAs? Mostly. Oh, right, a good mix. It's okay. Your crowd. But no one no one raised their hand on Data Studio. They have one of the cool things about Data Studio is the extensions, and you have all kinds of scenarios that you can add in there, like manage instance if you're synapse. 
Um, there's a lot of there's Cousteau. a lot of partner scenarios. Cousteau, Cousteau, mm-hmm. yeah. So I I highly recommend. I mean, just take a look at it. I, I would just even just for the extension scenarios, if you're not a developer, because it helps DBAs as well. Notebooks in notebooks. If you ever think about any script you've documented for your DBA team, notebooks you can run SQL. Um, in them. It's the only place where you can run regular T-SQL. Yeah. You know all those little .SQL files Absolutely. you have stashed everywhere? Yeah. They, they should be in Notebook. And you can share them, and you yeah. can run PowerShell, and you can run Python, and you can run R, and you can run lots of... I mean, Anna, you never use Notebooks. I've never seen you actually try it before. You should give it, you should give it a go. She is the Notebook machine. Yeah, no, I love Notebooks. Anyone from a data science background is familiar with Notebooks, and so when we shipped the SQL kernel, we actually pushed that code back into the Jupyter open source framework that runs all the different IPy NB files. Um, so that was really exciting to have yeah. runnable SQL code or runnable PowerShell code. And you can even parameterize your notebooks. So you can say, hey, I want to run this whole notebook with all of this. And if there are any errors, then I can go back into the notebook and see what went wrong. Um, so definitely yeah. a really good But cool as somebody one. who demos, the most golden thing about notebooks is we can demo without running anything because the results are saved in the file. Right. So imagine the DB though, you run a series of scripts to train somebody what something should look like with DMVs and so forth, run the notebook, get the results and just send the file and say, this is what it's supposed to look like. And they can compare that to their current environment. And it integrates with GitHub and it integrates with CICD and so much more. So yep. if you're a DBA, for those of you that are developers, VS Code, you've used VS Code, okay. Azure Data Studio is a fork of VS Code. Nice. Yep, so you'll be in the same world. I'm going to grab this question from Brian, and then we have to stop the recording. Although you guys can answer the questions online, there's still a few more. Okay. So from Brian, he says, whether Azure-centric or not, when will we see updates to certification materials that focus on the DBA and SQL dev? And many of us have kept up uh, our certs for years, but we feel like they're fading in importance. Yeah, I'm actually friends with the with the uh, team, the gentleman that runs the team for those certs, and it's a constant question. Uh, they've been focused on the data engineer. A lot of that material has been moved over into the data engineer right. title, so that's not a bad one to have, but stay tuned. That's All what right. I'm allowed to but, say. But hey, in fairness, one another plug. <laughs> so there's what, Anna, what's the, what's the certification for Azure SQL relational? It's DP300. Okay, we've had people come to us and say, I don't have Azure experience, so what do I do? If you've taken some of our workshops or looked at our fundamental series, our training, it's free, by the way, we're not getting paid for this, but if you do that, we didn't intend for this, people contact us and say, I just took the training and passed the cert. And then they use that cert to go get a job. Yeah. So, I mean, certs for DBAs and relational, at least in the cloud world, are still there. Yeah. yeah. Part, part of the scenario is the shift between Product-based certifications yeah. to role-based certifications. Yeah. So, what, what did you mention? DP three hundred, right? Yeah, yeah. three hundred. So and then there was DP two hundred and two hundred one. And then when you when you look at it, we're not saying like, hey, if you take DP two hundred, we're gonna you're gonna be a master at Cosmos DB. It covers Data Factory. Mm-hmm. It covered uh, Data Warehouse and Synapse and Azure SQL DB because these are all of the technologies in order to be a really good data engineer. That's right. Or data scientist, right? These are the ones that we would expect you to be, to have knowledge around. So it's really kind of a shift. I mean, D- DP300, I don't, I'm, I'm assuming it's not going to cover just Azure SQL DB or managed instance. It's going to cover, cover a number of It covers just some basic relational topics, yeah. but it's also uh, pivots on uh, the other part of this is Azure SQL, like your relational DBA skills in the cloud. Right. Yep. All right, folks, let's have a big hand for our panel. Thanks so much for your help. Thank you. You're the one who deserves a hand for being here. Thank you for coming. Absolutely.
And we'll talk to you next time on Run As Radio.